There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Meryn Gitter. And I'm Josh Lowe. And each week we take a look at the big stories in the U.S. and what they mean for the rest of the world. So this week, we're having a look at satire and how to be funny about people who are so inherently ridiculous that it almost feels like you can't make fun of them. So I'm thinking here of politicians like Nigel Farage, like others involved with Brexit, but particularly about Donald Trump. Yes, because how do you satirise Trump, who is just such an extreme, like so much of what he says is so completely ludicrous. But we know from having seen his Twitter outburst that if you go after Trump, if you laugh at him too much and push him too far, he has a tendency to fight back. Yeah, and there's a another issue associated with this as well, which is this idea of fake news, all this mad misinformation flying around, poisoning our politics. Um, How do you make satirical news or satirical content of any kind when you've got to worry about misinforming the public in that way? So satirists have that to worry about. People might take their articles as genuine when they're not. But also perhaps they do need to worry about the fact that their constant takedown of mainstream politicians of the whole political sphere has enabled men like Trump and Farage to rise to the fore. Me and Mirren like to think we're funny, but we're not satirists. But we've got a couple of satirists here to talk about this with us now, a couple of excellent guests, and I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Will Smith. I'm a writer and comedian, occasional actor. I I worked on The Thick of It, uh, also in it as Phil Smith, and I write on Veep, uh, the kind of American uh, Thick of It, and uh, I've written a novel called Mainlander, set in 1987 on the island of Jersey, but it doesn't just appeal to fans of that year and that island. You know, if you're a fan of 1988 and the Isle of Man, I think you'll like it too. Uh, my name is Richard Smith. I'm the managing editor of satirical news site News Thump. Uh, no relation, I should mention that, I guess. And I'm here to talk about satirical news on the internet. Great. So I think the, the first question has to be, how do you, you satirise someone like Trump? Because he is in himself inherently ridiculous. Yeah, and it, not only that, it, if you wrote him, it would be unbelievable because he's so psychologically transparent isn't he it's like you can, you can see there's no layers I mean there are layers but that you're aware of them so it's like it would just feel really unsubtle and you think nobody would behave like that nobody could hold those opinions it's it's he's beyond I mean he's just a remarkable I mean no that's entirely the wrong word no he's he despicable <laughs> um he is. And, and you're right that you couldn't write him because no. I think if you did if you sat in the writer's room and pitched something that Donald Trump has done in the last year it may be dismissed as ridiculous, but you might also then create an episode where they're trying to roll back from it and recover from the thing they said. Yeah. He doesn't, he do, doesn't that. do that. No. He just commits to it and doesn't He doubles care. down, yeah. <laughs> so, Which is strange. If, I, I, if we came up with him on Veep, uh, it, would, that, <laughs> it, it just wouldn't get you know, past the first kind of 
suggested it would be like just, just that wouldn't happen. Just just way too crazy. And, I, and but also when he like if you read like transcripts of his speeches and like things he he says in the debates, it's I mean it actually works as brilliant comic prose because it's so <laughs> mad and unpredictable but it's almost like it's almost like somebody with the debates at points I thought it, it, it's like if Chris Morris or Armando Iannucci got hold of the footage and recut it to make him look mad on that point we've got um, a clip I think that amply demonstrates oh, right, uh, right. exactly what you were just saying and he referred to my hands if they're small something else must be small I guarantee you there's no problem so like you can write that line right <laughs> no it would be in a, no no it's it's actually I remember when, when I, was, I was over for, for people in LA and it was for the Republican debate and it was the one where you remember they they all went out in the wrong order. They were standing in the corridor and, and just we we watched that again in the writers' room. And I remember Dave Mandela showing it, going, "I mean, we couldn't do that. It would be too mad. It would be, it would be too broad, too broadly comic." It was. So what? So how do you get something with bite then on these kinds of guys? Because making politicians look ridiculous is one thing. Is there? What, yeah, what it's it's, I mean, it's difficult. Well, I think the thing is you can't satirize the person because. You know, we'll, we'll agree. One of the things you do when you're trying to mock someone is you exaggerate their position. <laughs> but, but you can't exaggerate their position because they've taken it to the nth degree. So what you do is, is you basically put them in a parallel universe almost or create, um, you know, mock their position rather than the, the person themselves. So the things that we've done with Trump over the last six months have been taking things they've done and putting it so that it would never be believed. It's not fake news in the sense that you read it and go, oh, has he done that? Mm. It's, you know... Um, puts Voldemort as Secretary of State, um, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and when he said, you know, we're not allowing any Muslims in the country, rather than mock that, we said, you know, we did a story where Native Americans were saying we can't allow any more Christians into the country until we can find out what the hell is going on. So you take the position and mock that rather than the individual who said it. It's difficult, though, because, like you say, with Trump, you don't know what he's going to say next. You really it, have no it's, idea. It's also difficult because with Trump, it, it's not like it has any visible effect, and that he's never going to back down. He, like you said, he's never going to apologise, and he doesn't even he doesn't even understand it really. Like like when he hits back at Saturday Night Live and he says it's unfair. It's like he doesn't <laughs> understand that satire. It's, it's not a balanced. It's not like an, an accurate impersonation. It's 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 he, he just doesn't understand the point of it. And, and and but also he kind of feeds the fire because. That, you know that he's giving them what they want when he, which which is great. I mean, I'm I'm obviously on Saturday Night Live side on this on, in, in this fight. The thing is, he does hit back, and he hits back in quite an aggressive way. And we've yeah. seen that, like Trump will go after journalists, and he said in this speech, I think it was back in like December 2015, that he basically stopped short of saying, "I would kill a journalist." By the way, I hate some of these people, but I'd never kill them. I hate them. No, I think no, these people, I would never do that. Uh, Let's see. No, I wouldn't. I would never kill him. But I do hate him. Can I, can I just double check? He did, he did actually win the Republican primary and yes. he did actually yeah. win the presidential election. Cause, cause just, Does yeah. that make you worry? I mean, obviously, well, we're not saying he's actually going to go after the journalists and kill them. But what about legally? And even on Twitter, <sighs> when he singles out an individual, like that is frightening because he's got millions it, of supporters. Well, I, it's quite interesting. When, when I'm listening to him do that and you can hear the laughs come in. And it, it, I remember really, I think it might have been John Harris in The Guardian. Uh, I think it was actually who, who followed Trump and went to some rallies. And he compared it to, he said he's like a kind of carnival Barker and, he, and a showman. He said it, he did compare him to a stand-up as well. And sometimes I, I get the sense that Trump is going with the laugh in the room. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that's good, and I'm, I'm not saying that's not a defense of his policy. But I mean, he clearly shouldn't be president. You don't want somebody president who is just going to like go with a laugh. And you can feel him there when they get the laugh and his teeth going back and forth on it. And it's not, 
you know, I don't think he's literally meaning it, but that's still terrifying that he would say that out loud. So but there's kind of a problem there for a satirist, right, as well. Because yeah. then if you so if you're if you're going with his sort of trash talking almost like a wrestler or something, but then if you join in and hit him back, are you then kind of playing his game? You know, does he want well, you to th- that's actually a point I was gonna make about the something that I think is if, if he was smart, the thing that he would do would say it's hilarious. I love it. I'd love to be on a show with Alec Baldwin. Let me come on. Let me do it. And that were totally new to them if he, if he, you know, kind of acted like he was in on the joke. But he, he doesn't even understand that that's, that would be the, that's the way to play it. He just hits back and goes, it's not funny. It's unfair. And they're just going to keep going. It's just. They are. But, but he's saying it's unfunny. It's un- not fair. Not to the people who are saying it. He's saying that for his core demographic. And they love him for it, which is, for me, is the more troubling aspect of Donald Trump. It's not the things he says. He's already rolled back on some of his more strange uh, policies that he announced in the the, uh, uh, election process. But for me, it's more about the people who've been given... The oh, voice. Th- we've won. You know, we won now. And and that's, the, you know, the alt-right, yeah. the, the racist demographic. Yeah. These are the people who suddenly feel empowered because their candidate won. That's more worrying to me than, than what Donald Trump says. And looking sort of more um, UK-based, with someone like Nigel Farage, who laps up publicity, and I think... <sighs> has a yeah. slightly better sense of humor than Donald Trump in that he doesn't uh. seem to get as offended. <laughs> I don't know, well, feel free to disagree. But with with someone like him, when you satirize him and when you give him that publicity that he craves, isn't that just kind of, well, worsening he, the problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I've come to the point on Farage where I just say, I don't want to hear him anymore. I don't want to see him anymore. He doesn't speak for anyone. I know he thinks he does, but he's, you know, he's not leader of a party. He's not a member of parliament. I just, why we listen to this guy? Not anyone. No, it's just like, it's just, as his opinion is, to me is as important as yeah, anyone else on the street, and his opinions are disgusting. So, let's not listen to him anymore. So, I don't even want to make fun of him. You know, I just I just oh, wanted to do. shut up and go away. Yeah, you guys still yeah, we do. Still we, do. we still do Farage all the time. Um, it, even recently, you know, we, we had a popular story on the site where um, we had Nigel Farage rewriting the nativity so that the heroes were the innkeepers who said they were full. So, you know, <laughs> but again, it's not we're not satirizing him. We're it's satirizing the, yeah. his position. His position is this. This is why it's patently ridiculous. Um, the thing you were saying about, you know, can he laugh at himself? So about 18 months ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a UKIP counsellor who, who blamed the floods that we had on gay marriage. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we, we did a story the day <laughs> it happened. I'd blank that, that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we did a story that said that UKIP had a new policy where they were going to send married gays to drought hit areas around the world. And that was, you know, fine. And then one of our writers started a Twitter account called UKIP Weather. I saw that. Yeah, it, it gathered like a couple of hundred thousand fans. Oh, very, very that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it went viral in like the, the week that it was launched. And Nigel Farage was on this week following Newsnight on BBC yeah. Two. And Andrew Neil said, have you seen this? And they put some of the tweets up on the screen. And he said, ha ha, yes, it's very funny. But you could see on his face. Oh, he's getting to him? That it, it was like, ha I mean, you, you, we've all seen Nigel Farage laugh, right? Because it's the ubiquitous photo of him with a pint and a fag and grinning his face off. He wasn't really enjoying it. And I took a lot of personal satisfaction from that, even though I didn't write the jokes. It was one of our writers that did. That it obviously did rankle with him a little bit that his party was being made to look ridiculous. Because that's a, that's an interesting point. Do you think that these people, Trump and Farage and people like them, care that much how they're seen? I was I was really rewatching some uh, thick of it last night, uh, taking this as an excuse to just watch the thick of it. Um, it <laughs> well, while I was supposed to be working. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it seemed like the era that that was satirizing was an era of politicians who are sort of 
anally obsessed with exactly how they're seen in the media. Yeah, I think we've got a clip of yeah. Malcolm Tucker speaking to a journalist and trying to change one word in some copy. Okay, okay, go ahead and print unforeseeable. Listen, see when I tell your wife about you and Angela Heaney at the Blackpool conference, what would be best? An email, a phone call, or what? So that's them trying to control yeah. the tiny micromanager. And you get the impression with Trump and Farage that actually, and, and those like them, that actually they don't care so much about the minutiae as long as they're in the press somehow. But is that not true? I, I think so. And also, certainly with someone like Trump, he, he'll just sort of lie. His way of hitting back is just, just you know, like the Vanity Fair, they gave his restaurant a bad review. So he just goes, ha, ah, nobody's uh, reading Vanity Fair. It's going down the toilet, grain and car is going to be sacked who by the way is the man who started the small hands thing and who Trump sends pictures of his hands every year to which is insane um, <laughs> and uh, but, but then again it backfires because Vanity Fair subscriptions got as does failing New York Times every time he hits back it kind of it's, it's he's doing journalism a favour so his kind of response is just to kind of front it out um, but I, with Farage I think it gets to him and I know that he he often complains about, oh, there's no right-wing comedians, yeah. doesn't he? Um, but, you know, I think, well, does he ever get upset that there are no kind of left-wing hedge fund managers? <laughs> I mean, it's just the, these are the jobs people are drawn to. It's yeah. just, you know, he, he, he want, only wants balance when it suits him. I, th I think you said something interesting there, Josh, about, you know, how do you know when it's true? And, and I think the truth element is important. You know, whether we like it or not, we're, we're, this whole post-truth era is where we are now. And the facts do not matter. I wish they did. I really wish they did. But they don't. Trump gave a perfect example a couple of days ago when he was talking about the Russian hacking of emails. Oh, God, why, did, why did no one? Why did no one mention it? They did. Hillary, <laughs> Hillary literally did on the stage in next to him during in front of fifty million people. She said it right there and then. But that doesn't matter because him saying, "Oh, why didn't they raise it?" means he's got a hundred million people in America going, "Yeah, that's right." Because facts don't matter. That was the one where his response was, "You're the puppet. You're the puppet. No, no, you're yeah. the puppet." Like he was <laughs> seven years Such old. Such a nasty that, lady. I mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, well, I, I still can't believe you won. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
you touched on another interesting point, which is this whole fake news thing. So it would have been, you know, the case that four years ago when The Onion or The Daily Mash or News Thumb, you know, wrote an article, people were like, oh, that's clearly satire. Now that we've got actual fake news being spread and we've got a president-elect tweeting stuff that is objectively not true, Mm. do you guys worry, uh, particularly you, Richard, do you worry that sometimes your articles will be taken as fact? Has that happened? It has happened, yes. Um, and, And it's happened times when we found it so the first time it ever happened was when the site was very new and we did a fake uh, Facebook profile of a guy called Musa Kusa, who was the foreign secretary of Iraq. So it was during the second Iraq. And it was, you know, make a post and it was William Hague replying and it was basically about him leaving and trying to escape Iraq. And it was patently made up. And the Sunday Times ran it, but <laughs> no, no, they didn't read it, read it, do it as real. Okay. But, but they were too subtle in explaining that it was fake. Right. So a lot of people did believe what they read and yeah. thought, oh my God, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And it created all, all sorts of furore. And at the time, I found that amusing. Over time, it's happened more often, um, but I don't like it. It's not what we want people laughing with us, not mm. angrily not sharing. Not using it to Precisely. support the position you're trying to satirize. I think the largest time it happened was, we all remember David Cameron's hug a hoodie thing mm. from years ago. So when um, Jeremy Corbyn was uh, fighting for the leadership and everyone was saying he was very soft on terrorism, we did a story where Jeremy Corbyn announced a new policy, which was hug a jihadi. Um, <laughs> obviously, completely <laughs> untrue and everything was made up. But the BNP shared it on their page oh and God. it went viral through the very right wing racist <laughs> demographics. And that got into the press and people picked it up as, as, you know, they can't believe they've fallen for this. Now, at the time, we thought that was hilarious because the people we were actually mocking were the ones who believed it. Mm. But you're right in that it's kind of dangerous when you look at it because there will be people who read that and it just reinforced their views. Not our intention at all. You know, absolutely do not want that. So there is an element that you think, you know what, but I don't think we can take responsibility for the way that people interpret things particularly on our site where it's made very very clear that everything's made up there's literally in the headline it Mm. says spoof and satire we have an about page which says we make everything up we're on snopes it's you know it's obvious we're made up but you're right there are other sites that don't do that um and that is a concern i think people like facebook and google are obviously looking at it i don't know what the answer is but something needs to be done because you're right there are things that are published that are objectively incorrect you know they are demonstrably factless there's there's no basis to the report but they go viral because people it conforms people's views you know they're thinking well that supports my opinion therefore i'm going to share it and and likewise and i'm not saying this at all but do you ever have the accusation leveled at you that you're you're like an echo chamber for people who already support your views comedically and it's not changing anything to be fair only three or four times every day oh god sorry (laughs) because i don't i mean i don't have much truck with that myself like i've read articles you know in the guardian of sort of opinion pieces of people saying well samantha b and john oliver and colbert and and seth myers they're just preaching the converted they're not having any effect and it's just in a closed loop but i i kind of think if that's all they do i find it very cathartic to watch them and and like with your work as well to have somebody express things that i Feel and it's a release, and so even if, if, even if it is just the echo chamber, I kind of think that's that's a really <laughs> good thing. I'm comfortable in it. I'm happy. Yeah. Did you not have that with Veep as well? People saying that about the show. Uh, no, I don't think no, because it, it's kind of Veep is kind of look saying the whole. It's more attacking the whole system really than than any one particular politician. I mean, Celine Meyer is not, not based on any specific person there's no I mean so well, no it didn't apply and nor with Thicker. Yeah I think one of the things that we we do get that accusation right that you know we we get accused all the time of being a left-wing propagandist mm. mouthpiece you know the liberal elite and all that sort of stuff um Fine. We, we, have, we have we have two or three writers that would be very offended by that um 
And we do we do mock all sides. Now, the simple fact is, and, and we'll all know this, satire works best when it's punching to power, right? Yeah. So when we very first started the site, Labour was still in power. So the majority of jokes were about Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. That changes as the government changes. So, of course, the government of the day are going to be the brunt of most of the jokes that you make. That doesn't mean we don't mock Labour. It doesn't mean we don't mock the Green Party. It doesn't mean we don't mock the people that sometimes we agree with if they do something worth mocking. Um, and I like to think we do that. But people sometimes call for balance, and I'm going to do the air quotes. What does that mean? As if you do, oh, you've done one story about UKIP, therefore you've got to do another one about the Green Party. That's but, not balance. Yeah, they're not as ridiculous. It's harder to make yeah, jokes yeah, about the Green well, Party. Of course party it is. Because of course some, it is. Most of their policies are sensible. It's just yeah, precisely. And I know that's my subjective point of view, but I'm also right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, do is it is it even remotely fair to say that satirists perhaps bear some responsibility for... Uh, denigrating mainstream politicians because I was listening to um, Hillary Clinton on Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. I just wanted to play the end of that um, interview. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Mrs. Clinton. We should stay in touch. What's the best way to reach you? Email? Um, and and listening, listening to that now, it's no longer quite so funny because the emails were such a big thing and they did trip her up. And I'm not for a minute saying that Between Two Fans is the reason why she didn't win. I mean, there are so many factors and, that, and that's the thing. I think the thing we have to remember with Trump when you look back is, it, you know, and I was wrong about these predictions, but I was in good company. Springsteen also. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 was, it was a fluke. I mean, it's like it's, it's 100,000 voters in the swing states. Have they gone the other way? There's so many factors that we could all recite that, 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 that put them in there. And, and so it's not like you look back and go, it was the fault of satire or Comey or I, I, whatever I, specific I, thing. But I, I don't think, and I certainly think, I don't think satirists went for her as much as they went for Trump. No. And I, I think that may have amplified Trump's, you know, kind of uh, noise, yeah. essentially. I mean, he was all over the news all the time because he was saying ridiculous things. And then everyone's tweeting back at him and, and trying to do jokes about him. And then that, you kind of raise him to a level where, I mean, it didn't seem credible as a, that he was going to win, but it's still... It's publicity, isn't it? It is. And, you know, and, and I'd love to sit here and think that we have the power to create a populist yeah. political movement. I really don't think we do. You know, I'd, I'd love to claim that. No, absolutely not. If, if satire was capable of creating that, it would have done it back in the 60s and the 70s because yeah. it's always been there. You know, our, our politicians and our leaders have always been the subject of mocking. You, know, you go back to the days of spitting image, obviously pre-internet. But if that was capable of creating a movement like this, it probably would have happened then. Um do we bear a level of responsibility? Well, maybe. You know, I honestly don't know the, the answer to that. Um, I personally don't think so, but, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong. You, what you mean for kind of uh, chipping away at the system yeah. and, and making yeah. people think? I mean, like certainly, yeah. about Veep, for example. Yeah, people you know, talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people have said that about Veep in the thick of it. That you, you know, you make it look like everyone's in it for themselves and you, you, uh, you're kind of undermining the trust in, in politics. You think, well, we're kind of reflecting what we see more than that but uh, so yeah I mean I don't, I don't know I don't feel <laughs> it's not my fault <laughs> I, I, I think the way I look at it if the system and the people who um, take the primary positions within that system allow themselves to be mocked in the way that we do that's not our fault mm. you know it's kind of a duty almost to pick them up on the things that are mock worthy if they, if they behave badly if they have policies that are patently ridiculous, it's kind of a duty to point that out, right? But it's also because Trump was kind of outside that system, as he put it, but certainly outside the norms of acceptable behaviour within the political system. It's like, I think his supporters just were like, well, he's a breath of fresh air. Not particularly fresh, actually, (laughs) stinky (laughs) air. But he, but you know, it was was that thing of, um, 
he's not like the others, and he, he wasn't kind of held to the same standards at all. It's yeah. like this, if you were, a, you know, a, a regular political candidate and you were caught on tape bragging about sexually abusing women, that's game over. That that should have been the end of it. Yeah, I mean, in, I, in any normal. Well, I would have ended it in the impre- impression of the you know, the, the guy, the guy yeah. who's disabled. And one thing I wanted to ask, and I think it's something that Armando Iannucci has said already, but can we ever have another show like Veep? Or is it, because I think, didn't he say something along the lines of, we can't make these sorts of shows anymore because what's happening in the real world has just got too ridiculous. I think, it, yeah, I don't think you could do the thick of it anymore. I mean, I know that, you know, everyone's too busy and Armando's moved on to films and stuff, so so he doesn't want to do it anyway. But I, but I just think, it, it, I mean, they, the, the politicians are doing it for us, the whole... I mean, did you see that? Tim Shipman had a great um, tweet, uh, kind of with loads of um, replies about, you know, what was your favourite thick of it moment of 2016? And you read through <laughs> yeah. it, you go, these are all yeah. amazing. And, and likewise with Veep, I think I actually think comedically Veep is in a good place with Trump. And Trump is terrible for the country, but it's good for Veep because if if Hillary had got in, I you know it would have uh, it would have felt like we were trying to sort of mirror her or, or satirise her, which we and she's never been the kind of the target of. Of the satire specifically, and 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 now Celine is out of office. It's like it's she, she's not going to be compared to Trump. So I think it's I think it's actually I think it's the the show will survive. But I but I think if if she was a president within the show now, it would be very hard. In the same way that with the West Wing, once George Bush came in, then it, it kind of slightly felt out of sync with reality, and it kind of lost sort of something at, at that point for some people. Well, bearing those moments in mind then, and we're going to have to move towards the end soon, I'm afraid, but um, we've talked about some of the ways that it's difficult to satirise some of these things, but what what is funny in politics at the moment? What's the funniest thing at the moment in politics? What would you, what, what, what gives you a laugh and a bit of a light We're both sagging our shoulders now, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lot of joy in it. No, and I I think it's, the type of humour that seems to do well at the moment is um, not so much about individuals, but about positions. Mm. So if you look at the, the Brexit debate in the UK, which has dominated everything and will for the next few years, um, there is the winners and the losers. You've got the Ramonas and the Brexiters, and there's a, there's a, a big <laughs> battle between the two. And, and that battle is inherently funny because things happen that yeah. kind of offset against their position. The Brexit bus was a godsend. That thing's going to be photoshopped into time and memorial that's just going to go on forever um but as things change you've got that offset between the two so i think that whole um positioning between the people who voted to leave and the people who voted to remain they're not going to come together anytime soon so i think that's going to be a rich vein of comedy for the next two or three years i mean there's there's humor but it's kind of depressing it's like i mean for me it's just you kind of look at people like liam fox you think is this really the best yeah. person that we have? He looks like someone who's won a competition to be a minister for a day. <laughs> he just looks a bit kind of like confused and happy at the same time. Like, oh, this is fun. But he doesn't, I just, you're not up to it. No. None of them are. I mean, and, you know, and you've just got this farce with them going, oh, it'll only take 18 months, be fine. And then other people going, you'll take 10 years. Oh, you'd stop being so gloomy. It just, it's just. It is. And, you know, you look at things, the, the statement Brexit means Brexit. Ah. And, and again, would, that would have been laughed out the room. Absolutely. You, you wouldn't, you know, oh, no, Brexit means Brexit. You know, can we get away with that? Or, or even like, it's like when, when uh, I remember David Davis at some point said, that, you know, there were kind of figures about how much it's going to cost us. And he was like, look, yeah, okay. If you put in certain, uh, you know, factors in, when you start that calculation, 
calculation, then you get that result. But if you change the, the factors and the predictions, then you, you get a much more optimistic result. You think, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the same as saying, yeah, it'll be fine. It's not, you know, I mean, I know it's all speculation and who knows, but, I, you know, I, let's, why not listen to the economists and the Oh, we don't who, do experts anymore. No. Do you not get the memo? That's crazy. Come on. <laughs> what um, do they I know? Think, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, I'd like to thank you both so much for coming on. It was so much fun. Uh, thank you to everyone at home for listening. Uh, don't forget that you can catch us every week on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us, like us, do all of those things. If you can't wait till next week, you can visit us at newsweek.com or pick up a copy of Newsweek. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.